Good morning. Uh, happy Father's Day. All you wonderful dads out there, we're glad that you're here. We honor you and respect you and realize that uh, your role in the world is a challenging role, but an incredibly important role. We have a little gift for you on the way out. Um, not sure exactly what it is. I think it's like a cruise or something, you know, or just a <laughs> certificate for a cruise. Or I'm not sure if that's what we decided on or not. But yeah, yeah, first 200 uh, dads. Um, <laughs> we've been traveling for a bit. Uh, we are so glad to be back with you. We have been away across the pond uh, with our daughter uh, and our new son-in-law's wedding. We've been in Italy, and this is the happy couple here. Um, yes, that is the rolling hills of Italy behind them. That was, it was an incredibly magical experience. Um, we actually got stopped more than once from people thinking it was the royal couple uh, on their honeymoon. You can kind of see that a little bit. Uh, we had waiters coming out of the restaurants pointing at him and stuff, and it was quite hilarious. Uh, actually, one of the great honors of being a dad, this is best Father's Day experience I could have is being able to preside over my children's weddings and uh, really it's just beyond belief and so uh, we are thrilled for them and excited about their new adventure and then we spent a week or so uh, I had an opportunity to chase this beauty around the country um, the hills of, uh, of Italy uh, celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary and so that was Pretty amazing time together. Um, it was so good that, you know, I always have this thing that I say, you're on probation till 50 years, and then I'm going to decide while I'm still cute enough to find somebody. <laughs> but I decided at this 40th, I'm going to give him 40 more years. So I think Great. we're okay. So Pastor Mark um, is actually in Texas today uh, with his dad. Um, his dad, his parents have retired, uh, living in New York all of their life, have retired to the Austin area, and now his grandparents at 91, who have lived their entire life in the Northeast, have moved to Austin, Texas to retire, and so he went to check on them and to be with them during uh, this uh, very important time, so he's with his dads, and uh, so uh, we'll be excited to have him back this week. Um, a lectionary text we want to grab a particular scripture today that kind of frames our moments. 2 Corinthians 5.17. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. What an incredible statement. And what a very powerful statement at Father's Day. What it's saying to us is that regardless of what's happened in the past, whatever our experience is, the difficulties, the challenges, the failures mess-ups, that it's all about something becoming new tomorrow, that we have this new genetic code in us that has been put in us, that we're new creations. We are not just whitewashed, we're not just covered over and glossed over a little bit to kind of fix us up, but we are new creations, that something new has happened in us. And so really our life is really about tomorrow. It's not about what's happened in the past. It's not about um, the difficulties that we've experienced or the difficulties that we came from. It's about tomorrow, and it's about the potential of tomorrow and about this newness of life. Now, this is a challenging thing. I love the scripture in 2 Peter. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. 
This is challenging. It means, again, that all things are becoming new in our life. Yet, I don't know about in your life, but the old keeps popping up in my life. Uh, it keeps trying to show itself again. Um, and yet, this is saying that, again, once, once again, regardless of that, it's about something, the potential of what's happening new. Uh, one of the founding fathers in the field of psychology, Carl Jung, uh, he was actually a, a devout Christian, said that this whole idea of newness, this whole idea of our mind becoming new, the renewing the mind and stepping into this um, new genetics that we have been giving, the challenge with that is that we are trying to move against and change and redirect influences five generations back. It's not just kind of what's happened to us in our life, but it's the influence of five generations before us that have impacted us, that have imprinted us in some way. So no wonder this is challenging. No wonder this is a tough thing to do and a tough thing to pull out, pull off. Father's Day causes us to think about our own dads and our own fathers and the influence of that. For some of you, it's a very positive thing. We have a lot of positive memories and feelings from that. For some of you, it's a very bad thing. For some of you, it's a no thing because you don't even remember. You don't have any knowledge or remembering uh, of your father. But regardless of where you come from, we all share a common father. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, we all have this sense of good memories and bad memories and difficult things and good things that have come from the previous generation. Of course, except in our family. We've spent our entire parenting life trying to convince our kids that we were absolutely the perfect parents um, and that all those bad memories that they have those were just nightmares yeah. uh, those were just Not dreams really. that they had that, that and that's what we're going to tell their therapist too yeah. um, that uh, I keep notes for their therapist yeah, it certainly wasn't anything about us so today we're just simply going to share a few stories of uh, things and then also from the scripture of experiences that we've had with our uh, own fathers, earthly fathers, and experience of what it speaks to and, uh, about Heavenly Father. And, um, and we're going to look at what this idea is about becoming new. And for all of us dads that are trying to carry out and pull off this incredibly difficult task of, of representing Father God, um, it's going to speak to us, I think. And then also it is also about who we are emulating, who we are trying to understand, um, the eternal Father that, that is common to all of us. Some of the earliest memories I have of my father is taking care of me. Now, I don't mean like taking care of me like cooking a meal or doing laundry, because I'm sure that my, my father, by the time he died, didn't even know how to run a washer. And he was that generation that he would pick up his tea glass and rattle it if he was low on tea and expect someone to hop up and give it to him. But I do remember him taking good care of me. And my very earliest memory of all was when I was probably three years old and I was standing in a field of clover and I had just been stung by a bee. And I remember standing there screaming and crying and I felt like I was all alone. And then all of a sudden my father came over and he had these big muscular arms and he swooped me up and he took me into the house. And I don't remember anything after that. I just remembered feeling like I'm safe. He picked me up. He carried me to where I needed to go. Do you guys remember as kids any long car trips? 
Mm -hmm. Do you remember falling asleep in the car when you were driving and it was going into the night? Well, I'm old enough that we had big cars. And so my brother and I would lay in the back seat on the floor. The floors were big enough for us to lay there. And there was a hump in the middle. And you'd put your head on the hump and it would kind of have this purr to it and it was really warm. And so we'd go to sleep. And then you'd pull in the driveway and we pretended like we were still asleep. Do you remember that? So that your dad would come and pick you up and carry you into the house and you wouldn't even have to wake up. Those are some of the memories that I have of my father caring for me and taking care of me. We all loved that feeling of I'm safe, I'm taken care of. So as Brent said, what, whatever kind of memories you have of your father, good, bad, negative, or good, bad, or neutral, we all share the same father, don't we? We are all a part of the same family. So we're going to talk primarily today about our father, our father who loves us, who loves us personally and individually, who treats us as if we're his favorite, as if we're the only one, and yet somehow he manages to do that with all of us. He manages to care for all of us. I love what Henry Nouwen said, God looks at his people as children of a family who are happy that those who have done only a little bit are as much loved as those who accomplish much. We don't have to earn our father's love. We are his children and he's amazing. He's a protector. He's there to heal our hurts. He's there to carry us and keep us safe. And we have his word on that. It's not something we made up to make us feel better. That is our God. That is our Father who loves us and who we serve. So we're going to read just a few scriptures to remind all of us and center us back into who our Father is. We're going to do it a little bit differently this morning. Um, one of the spiritual disciplines that has become very uh, special to me in my life is a discipline called Lectio Divina. Some of you may have heard us talk about this. It's usually something that we kind of do in private in little smaller settings. Uh, we're going to do a portion of that uh, here as we read this. Lectio Divina is a way of reading scripture that really looks at the text um, in a little different way instead of just information for us to grab a hold of and knowledge for us to know or something to remember. It's recognizing that the scripture is living and that it is the living word of God and that when we encounter it, that something happens in us. It's one of the reasons that you'll notice, and I know it frustrates some of you, that sometimes when we read the text um, uh, before our services, we don't put them up on the screen. That's not just a mistake. We're trying to encourage you to learn how to just listen to it and let it soak in you. And so we're going to do that for a few moments now. Normally, Electo Divina has four steps. It's where you would read it, um, and then you would um, get quiet and, and uh, kind of uh, meditate on it a little bit. And then you would pray, and then you would look, uh, meditate a little bit more on it. We're not going to take the time to do that this morning, but we're going to do it a couple of those steps. We're going to read it through once and encourage you, invite you to look at it uh, visually. Some of you are visual learners and look at it on the screen. And then we're going to read it through a second time. And we do encourage you to close your eyes and just let it soak a little bit. These are very short little segments, so it's not going to be a long time. Um, let it kind of soak into you and think, what does this mean for me? 
How do, how does, what is this trying to say um, to my spirit? So quiet yourselves for just a moment and let prepare yourself to experience the living word. Let that soak in you. First of all, 1 John. How great is the love the Father has lavished on you, that you should be called the children of God, and that is what you are. How great, is the love, how great is the love the Father has lavished on you, that you should be called the children of God, and that is what you are. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on you who fear him. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on you who fear him. Because of the Lord's great love, you are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Because of the Lord's great love, you are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Psalms 108, for great is his love for you, higher than the heavens. His faithfulness reaches to the sky. For great is his love for you, higher than the heavens. His faithfulness reaches to the skies. From everlasting to everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with you who fear him, and his righteousness with your children's children. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with you who fear him and his righteousness with your children's children. Okay, will you open your eyes and come back with me? I would encourage you to consider doing this routinely. Uh, you know, so many of us are used to being taught that we need to read as much scripture as possible. I was one of those that I've always read through the Bible in a year. But I'm finding the beauty and the richness in taking just one or two lines and reading it and meditating on it and reading it and meditating on it so that it really does soak into my heart. And so I really am getting a glimpse of the Father through what I'm reading. So now we're going to go on to some scripture we're going to talk about a story of the Father's love. This is probably the most well-known story in Scripture. It's Luke 15, 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. 
So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his, fe his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a, or put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This has been called by many the greatest short story ever written. Uh, it was tradition in that culture. Uh, it was not um, up to the father what he decided to do with his inheritance. It was law that uh, with two sons that you were to give two-thirds of your belongings to the oldest and a third to your youngest. Oftentimes when a dad was about time of retirement, he would, even, even when he wanted to step away from his um, daily obligations a little early before he died, he would actually distribute his money uh, while he was still alive. That's not what hap is happening here. This is not the dad thinking this is a good idea and I I'm ready to distribute the money. This was a son who is saying, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to be with you. I don't want your, your ways but I want your money. Um, now, the dad was wise here. He knew that he wasn't going to debate this out of his kid. He wasn't going to lecture him. Um, we all know as human fathers, we would want to say a few things, wouldn't we? We'd want to say, this is not a good idea. Um, you're not ready for this, but he didn't do that. He knew that there were some things in life that we only learn through difficult 
uh, and natural consequences. And so he was, he was uh, secure enough to al allow that to happen with his son. And so he gave him his money, you know the story, gave him his money and let him go on his way. This is actually one of the um, earliest um, signs of what we today in our modern language we call tough love. That's what the dad was doing. He knew that the son was only going to learn by difficult things happening to him. And oftentimes that's the, way, the only way that we learn. We only learn because uh, we hit a wall or go through something difficult. Otherwise we just want to run our own life and kind of do our own thing. Well, the son, as you know the story, made a mess of himself and made, made a mess of everything, squandered everything, and uh, really became repentant. Uh, we believe that because it wasn't just, a, oh, I'm sorry because I'm out of money. It was a true repentance because he was willing to come back and work as a slave. Uh, he knew that his, because of what he had done, that he had failed his father. And yet, the father was willing um, to allow these circumstances to have an impact and an imprint. Um, we see this all the time as counselors where God allows us to come to the end of ourselves. says that he came to his senses. We all will come to the end of ourselves in some way. We all have certain things, even today that we're doing, that we're saying, I don't, God, I don't want your ways. <laughs> I don't want what you have for me. I, I want to do it my way. Uh, sometimes we read a story like this, we go, well, I did never do that. I would never do anything that extreme. But we're all doing something on our own that I want, I want this way in life. And again, the good Father uh, will allow us to come to the end of ourselves. Yet it didn't change the attitude of the Father. He didn't get angry. He, didn't get, he wasn't bitter. He wasn't resentful. As a matter of fact, it says that he saw him from a distance. I think every morning the Father went out on the front porch and looked. Is this the day he's coming back? Has his heart changed yet? I think that's what God does in all of our lives. I think every day he steps up to the porch of our heart and says, is today the day that you're going to let me in? Is today the day that you're going to let me um, guide you and direct you? Is today the day that you're going to turn that thing over to me uh, and let me um, handle this? And it says that he saw him from a distance and he went and ran after him and certainly didn't lecture him, didn't, uh, um, didn't try to make sure that he knew what he had done wrong. He simply threw a robe around him, which um, put him in a place of honor, put a ring on his finger that actually gave him authority once again in the family. And he put sandals on his feet that separated him from a slave that said, you're my son. That's the heart of the Father that we serve. Uh, and so whatever it is that in, in our life today that we might be kind of pushing back um, at God, he's ready. He'll let us hit a wall. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't cause bad things to happen to us, but he'll let us stub our toe, run into a wall, because he loves us deeply. Um, but the moment we turn back to him, he's ready to throw a robe around our shoulders. I've often thought that this parable shouldn't be called the parable of the prodigal son. It should be called the parable of the loving father because that's what we see. We see his incredible love for all of us. It reminds me of a song that we sing here that that's, uh, some of the words are, Wanderer, come home. You're not too far. Lay down your hurt. Lay down your heart. Come as you are. Whatever we have going on, 
He's always willing to welcome us back, wherever your relationship with God is at any particular moment. He's always willing to welcome you back with no condemnation and no criticism. One of the things that I also love, and Brent mentioned that, is that he doesn't, the father doesn't hold the son's rebellion, rebellion against him. He doesn't, as far as we know, and it's not the nature of God, to bring it back up again. Well, remember, you did this. It's totally forgotten, totally forgiven. So he can move on without the guilt and the shame and the condemnation. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, I went through a, a, a period of time uh, where I was an idiot. Um, I've had other idiot moments, but this was a pretty severe idiot moment. Um, I, had, I was, went to a high school. We had 4,000 students in the high school, big, big high school. Uh, there was this one girl that was striking. Uh, my hormones were raging, and yet I didn't think that she would ever have interest in me. And yet when she would walk by, I just, you know, um, and, um, and I wasn't thinking right. I wasn't thinking clearly and interacted with her in one of the classes, and lo and behold, she was interested in me. Um, and I was uh, shocked by that. And, but she was, not, she was not a good girl for me. Um, this was not a, uh, an influence that was good in my life. She was interested in kind of taking things to the extremes and uh, just right to the edge. And, and so it was kind of like she kind of grabbed me. <laughs> I was being pulled and drawn by this influence. I was not thinking straight. And uh, got myself in a place where I look back on it now and I just think, thank you, God. Thank you for your grace that you stepped in. My dad stepped in. And you know how parents just know stuff? I still don't know how he knew this. Um, but they just know stuff. I remember he had a conversation with me um, about kind of what was going on. They could tell. Uh, he put some structure in my life. Um, he worked with me until he felt like I got it. And I was able to kind of move away from that influence. And I'm so thankful to the Lord today. But you know what? Uh, that was, I was 16 years old. He's never mentioned it since. Not one time. He's never brought it up. Never said, well, you remember when you went through that situation? Never brought it up one time. Uh, he has been one of my greatest advocates in my life that has believed in me, um, spoke life to me, um, and loved me in a way that was absolutely amazing. We spend a lot of our days welcoming prodigals home as counselors. And I think one of the reasons that we have kind of this natural empathy for those that have gone through difficulties and are coming back is because of the way my father treated me, the way that he accepted me back in. I felt like he threw his robe around my shoulders, um, put a ring on my finger, and put sandals on my feet. Um, and it's impacted me for the rest of my life. Um, Abraham Lincoln was asked after the Civil War how he was going to treat the South. People thought that he was going to kind of rub it in their nose or that he was kind of bitter and, and rebellious. Really phenomenal uh, quote that he said, his response, I will treat them as if they had never been away. What an amazing statement reflecting the heart of God.
So we've been, when we've been lost and yet found, God treats us as if we've never been away. So listen again to what the scripture says, Titus. He saved you, not because of righteous things you have done, but because of his mercy. He saved you through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. But God demonstrated his own love for you in this. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. But because of his great love for you, God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive with Christ, even when you were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Another precious memory that I have of my father is his provision. Some of you have heard me tell the story of my father, that he was raised in an extremely abusive home. And at the age of 16, his mother died, and his father kicked the children out of the house and said uh, that they were on their own. He was 16, his sister was 15, and the dad said, you need to be on your own now, I don't want you here. So my brother, my brother, my father dropped out of high school and drove a taxi cab so that his sister could finish high school. So they got an apartment and he supported her while she finished high school until she got married. Part of that is he, he became a saver. He knew what poverty was like and he did not ever want his children to experience the poverty and the rejection that he experienced. So he worked very, very hard. He often worked two jobs. He saved everything. And he had what we call a Kansas farmer mentality. Do you know what that is? I'm from Kansas. We weren't farmers, but he still had it. And that was you save everything. You only buy things if you need them. And then you buy them at a discount. You wait till they're on sale. Or you negotiate until you can get the best price. And you never let anyone know how much money you have or how much you're worth. You see this in Kansas with some of the guys that drive the old pickup trucks. You have no idea. They're multimillionaires. But that, that is the Kansas farmer mentality. And I remember thinking as a teenager, someday I'm going to go into a store and I'm going to find something I like and I'm going to buy it. I'm not going to wait till it goes on sale. I'm not going to try to negotiate or get a coupon. I'm just going to buy that thing. Well, now as I'm a grown-up, I pretty much live the way my parents do. In fact, if you, if you uh, ask or tell me you like something, I'll go, really, you like this? I got it on sale for only $10. It was amazing. They're normally like $48. Um, so I had that same type of thing. But it was very important to my parents that we all learn the value of money. So we all bought our own cars, we paid for our own gas, we got jobs at a very young age, we bought most of our clothes and paid for our entertainment, and we were all encouraged to save and save and save. When it was time to go to college, I got a very good scholarship to the state school, but then I heard about ORU. And so I applied to ORU, and I was too late to get scholarships. So I had this full tuition scholarship in Kansas, ORU, I could get nothing. And the day that my acceptance letter came, I got it in the mailbox, I'll still do it, and I started crying. And my dad said, honey, if it means that much to you, I will pay for you to go to ORU if it's that special. And I was so grateful. But the first semester that I was there, I started noticing that other people were really struggling to pay their tuition. 
and that other people's parents had sacrificed so much to have them in school. And I knew of people whose mothers went back to work after 20 years in order to allow their child to be at ORU. And I felt so convicted and so humbled. And so I went home and I sat down with my dad after Christmas and, and I said, Dad, I never realized the sacrifice that it was to put me in ORU. And so I just want to tell you, if you want me to, I'll work, I'll take out loans. Now in my family, loans were unheard of. You paid cash for everything. And I thought credit cards were demons. Um, so, so I just said, I hate that this puts so much burden and stress on all of you. I'll do whatever it takes so that you guys don't have that stress. And my dad got tears in his eyes. He was a great, big, muscular, kind of a gruff guy. And he got tears in his eyes. And then he started laughing because he knew what he had in the bank. And he laughed and he said, honey, I could sit down and write a check for all four years right now and it wouldn't make a difference. But I'm so glad that you're grateful and you're thankful for what we've done. I think about that from time to time. And it reminds me that no matter what is happening in the world, no matter what's happening in our family, God has everything we need. He has full provision. Yes, he wants us to live as good stewards. Yeah, I think he wants us to look for that sale. But we also know that he has the, he has the cattle on a thousand hills. He's got provision for us when we are in time of need. But I think it also blesses his heart when we come to him and we're grateful. When we recognize the sacrifice that he has made for us, I think he's grateful. And I think it makes him just want to bless us more because he is such a good and loving father. We all have different stories of earthly fathers. As we've said, some are sweet and some are very painful. I have good memories of my father, but I also have some very painful memories that came from his years of abuse. But family, we all have the same loving father. We all have our heavenly father who loves us completely. And he's without those human flaws that our own fathers had, that we have as we parent. And he's good. He only wants good for each and every one of our lives. Because he's a good father, as Brent said, he may allow us to go through some things. He may allow us to learn some things when we're strong-willed and pig-headed. We think that's normally teenagers that go through that. But if we're really honest, we go through stages of that in our, throughout our lives. Some of us get stuck in that. But he's there for us, even when we have that hard pig-headedness in us. He carries us. He protects us. He provides for us. And he teaches us to live a healthy life. He gently and wisely leads us. And when we go astray, whether it's in the big things or the little things, like I just haven't spent the time with him right now that I should, he always welcomes us back without condemnation, just open and loving arms. So let him take care of you today. If you have wounds from your earthly father, go to our heavenly father. 
and allow him to heal and restore and to make all things new. In a moment, we're going to invite you to the table. And this is a, a moment we have together. Not only does it remind us of the greatest love that's ever been shown, that love that someone would lay their life down for another, but it's also the kind of love that says, I want to be with you, that I didn't just create you and go away, that I am consistently with you. Not only is the Holy Spirit within us, but this moment, and we're, we'll never fully understand what the mystery of the Eucharist is, but this moment that God is saying that I'm coming into and crashing back here to earth, crashing back through these elements to uh, connect with you in a very, very tangible way. So whatever you might be facing today, there's an opportunity that we have for healing. There's an opportunity that we have for restoration. We have the opportunity, if we realize we've been going a certain direction and been saying no to God, we have an opportunity to turn back towards Him and have this experience um, in this moment. And so as we prepare ourselves for that, Lord, we trust You. We're thankful for You as Father. And Lord, we don't fully know all what even that means because we are so limited. Your ways are higher than our ways. You see the beginning and the end of all things, and we don't see much. Our view is very limited, but we're so thankful for what we know that you have offered us, for provision for yesterday, for today, and for eternity. And we also acknowledge that we have been prodigals in some way, that we have turned and gone our own direction. And so whatever pig pen we've been eating out of today, we want to move back towards you. And we want to trust you enough that you will throw a coat around our shoulders and a ring on our finger and put sandals on our feet. And so we honor you today as King. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with